city I've been browsing. Treading water that they drown in. My head on a swivel. Yeah. It's only really my surroundings. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Smash Accept podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore DadFF. And before we have, a, like a, every week, we have a fantastic guest on us with this week, but we're not going to go there yet. We want to talk about something else. Mung, I got to let you know, you know, you guys all know I'm a produce manager and I was at our produce auction today. And I'm thinking, you know what would be really cool? When you're doing your live draft, if you had like a sweet draft board in the background that does auctions. And then I'm like, I got to look this up. You know who does it? Draftkits.co. You know, these guys have been doing the best draft boards. They do the background that I have behind them, all of the Royer drafts from my kids' drafts to my, you know, all my friends and family drafts. We use them. It's the greatest draft boards out there. And this auction board lets you write in the values and track the whole way throughout. And I'm just excited to get back into live drafts. You know what I mean? Like we had last year with COVID and this year. You guys, if you buy before July, 31st with code smash you get 10% off and you get entered for a free trophy for your league up to $70 value and you can't beat that no one else is doing that you get a chance to obviously get a little bit of money off because you know us you know Mung and I always try to hit you up with some deals and you could possibly get a free trophy so Mung you know I know we uh we've had a kind of awesome couple of weeks here but how you doing yeah, good. I already told uh, the commissioner of our auction keeper league that I have a draft board ready for him. Um, I love it. I already got it in the mail, and uh, I was pretty excited to put Cam Akers up there for five bucks as a keeper. But uh, unfortunately, that will no longer be the case. Uh, I've already adjusted some of my redraft rankings. Of course, you can find those over at Fantrax. Uh, I just updated them this morning. Actually, my top two hundred PPR. And, of course, you guys can find me on Twitter at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. Knowing that I took Cam Akers in both Smash Except Listener League 1 and 2, I got to say, it's too soon for you to make that joke. Just just too soon. You know? It wasn't a joke, just more of a, a sad comment, really. It really is. From a sad comment to an awesome, exciting moment, you know, a guy that we've been talking to on Twitter for years. We've got Sam Wallace on the show, analyst and writer for Rotoviz. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I'm really looking forward to this. I know we were talking pre-air that, like you said, we, we've been talking for a while, it seems like, and it's always really cool and exciting for me to start putting voices and names in real time with, with the people that I've met and talked to virtually for the longest time. So thank you guys very much for the opportunity and looking forward to chatting with you guys. Yeah, I mean, the Twitter community is awesome. And I know you started similar time to me and I'm always seeing you on there. And like literally like 20 minutes before air, someone put a trade out there and they only tagged you and I, you know, and it's like, it's cool experiences like that. You get to know the person's personality. And to be honest, that's where Mung and I kind of got started, right? Like Mung and I answered every single trade question ever. And it was always like, this guy's always answering trade questions. I'm always answering them. And then our other co-host, John, and we're like, let's let's do this together. You know, we're going to make this a trade show and, and make it, you know, really what people want to hear about when it comes to us. So we're excited to have you, you know, jump in here and just jump right into some of these trade questions because Everybody wants to know right now, right? How do we value Cam Akers? I mean, Cam Akers in a one quarterback dynasty league was going back into the first round. A guy that's, you know, in most redrafts people have is that, you know, RB10 to RB12 range. And you got to feel for the guy, right? I mean, absolutely killed it last year in the playoffs to work so hard to where he's at and then get this kind of injury, right? We talked about it a little bit backstage. I mean, we're talking Achilles tear. You know, if this is an ACL tear, to me, this is a smash except I'm buying him everywhere for a first and throwing him out there like candy because this is a supremely talented running back. But we're talking about Achilles there, you know, one that is really we're, – we're kind of writing the book here, right? I mean, we've had Mikel LaShore, we've had Deontay Foreman, Arian Foster, but there really isn't too much out there when it comes to this Achilles there. Uh, first thing, Sam, you hear the news. What are you thinking when, from a dynasty perspective with Cam Akers? I mean, first of all, it's – 
it's tough to hear for for cam makers professionally and personally and it's it's so easy i think for for people in the fantasy community to to lose sight that we're we're playing an imaginary game fantasy football with real people's careers with, with real people in in the job that they do for a living this is this is their career so it's always tough to hear that you know for from one person to another knowing how hard he's worked to get where he is how excited we all were for for his um for his year two that he was going to have. And we could have conversations about whether he was overhyped or not, but his ADP had definitely crept up to a point where people were in. I mean, they were all in on him this year as a back of the first round running back in dynasty startups. And that's, that, that's a lot. I mean, you're, you're expecting that guy to do a lot in that offense. So that's tough. But like you said, any other type of injury pretty much would probably open up a much stronger buying opportunity now. Not that ACLs aren't devastating, not that it's you know not threatening to you and your health and your career and your longevity, but we've seen so many other players, wide receivers, running backs, come back from that type of injury and still perform at a high level. So ACLs don't seem to scare people off as much anymore, especially when a player is young, healthy, talented, obviously. But as you mentioned, this type of injury, the list is not great that he's in. And we're going to talk about it quite a bit, I'm sure, but... The question for a lot of fantasy managers comes down to you look at the list of players and their lack of success post Achilles injury. Is that because the injury is just so detrimental that you're more or less done? Or is the list of players really just not that talented and Akers is, you know, supremely talented and he's going to be kind of the outlier based on the information that we have? Nobody knows. And and that's the tough thing. And anybody that tells you that they know doesn't. I, I don't care if you're a medical professional or not. We do not know how he will recover not every recovery is going to be the same and it's just going to be you know how how risk tolerant are you that's that's a phrase i'm sure i'll use a lot tonight but how tolerant are you in uh, adjusting to your rankings and either investing or selling in a player in in this situation i like you're talking about risk tolerant and someone that i know is risk averse you know like mung i'm the risk taker you know i'm the guy that's always like something happens let's go do it you know like i'm always in that way you're always a lot more calculated with things so talk to me a little bit about your thought process you know what what's going through your head here and sam hit the nail on the head where it's like we we do have to look at this as a person as well you know what i mean we have to look at it as horrible situation here for cam Akers, potential great situation for for darrell henderson and someone else in their career but what were your first takes when you heard the heard the news and it was the first news I got was actually in our Smash Except Listener League where they like to harass me about all my players, you know, and they, they get that in there. Mung, what was your thought process? Yeah, and I think you know me pretty well at this point. I am more risk adverse in terms of dynasty play style. And certainly, you know, we wish the best for Acres, but this is a devastating injury, right? Uh, as you said, there's a clear difference between the ACL and the Achilles. And not only that, but particularly from the studies that I've read, it impacts running back and linebacker play styles based on how they need to move. Um, so I've seen people, you know, bringing up Kevin Durant and other athletes, and I don't know how relevant that is just because the different styles of movement um, don't really correlate here. So it's really tough because I've been an advocate for Saquon Barkley all off season, Right. Coming back from the ACL, some people are worried about him in redraft. Myself, not so much. And that's for two reasons. One, as we have said, you know, with modern medicine, ACLs are no longer as detrimental to come back from. But two, I also view Barkley as this, you know, phenomenal athlete, Adrian Peterson-esque, where he is a, a clear outlier for me in terms of physical ability. And for Akers, I don't know that I see him that way. Um, I think he's a very good running back. But I don't know how much of that comes from just pure athleticism. So if we're talking about, and again, we're working with a very small sample size with running backs where we simply don't know, right? But if we had to make a bet right now, you know, we're saying that he probably won't be 100% back even if he does recover, right? We're saying that explosiveness, the ability to cut on those angles, we just don't know. So even if he's 80% of what he was before, 90%, I don't know that he was a you know clear Uber athlete prior where you know where some of that gets sapped and is going to allow him to still be that elite fantasy asset that many considered him to be. So personally, I don't know that I'm running out there to buy him in dynasty formats. Um, you know, depending on how risk adverse you are. The highest I'd go would be a late first. I think his value is basically cut in half from what it was 
prior to this injury. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we were looking at a guy that was going second, third round to, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people say I wouldn't pay more than than two seconds or a late first. Uh, on the flip side, one of our Facebook users or users, one of our, they said Facebook user, one of our Facebook listeners put the question that everybody really wants to know, right? I mean, we look at the Rams situation. They were second in, in red zone efficiency. They like to run the ball. You know, they were they we've seen what they've done with Todd Gurley in the past. They said Cam Akers was kind of going to be in that that spot. Now we look at, at, at Daryl Henderson who through weeks one through eight in 2020 was the highest graded PFF running back. You know, if you look at the splits, uh, Michael Florio put out, you look at the splits. I mean, we're looking at almost the same amount of carries. They both 625 to 624 rushing yards. Henderson had 20 runs of 10 plus acres had 12, you know, point even better. He was better in yards before contact, better in yards after contact, better in runs over 15 miles per hour. Henderson was electric in college, you know, and we all got excited when they drafted him. It was somebody that moved up all the way into like back into the first and rookie drafts. Now Daryl Henderson moves in and like, where do we have him? Right. Most people had their redraft that acre somewhere 10 to 12. I'm seeing, you know, Henderson somewhere in that 15 to 18, maybe 20 range. But what kind of what kind of season can we expect here? I mean, are they going to use a committee? Is he the guy taking over? Because there's not a lot on the depth chart right now, right? We're going to talk a little bit about some of the free agents, but Xavier Jones is out there. Um, you know, it's not a whole lot when it comes to what the Rams have. They got Jake Funk, who they took in the seventh round. Raymond Calais, it's not a lot. Free agents out there: Adrian Peterson, Duke Johnson, you know, Deion Lewis, Le'Veon Bell. It's even Todd Gurley could possibly come back. Uh, Sam. Talk to us a little bit about what you've seen from the tape with Henderson and what kind of prospects and where you possibly see him in 2021. Because it's tough to predict a running back like this. It's tough to predict what his value is going to be past 2021. Right? We talk about guys being in that two to three year window. We've seen a little bit of Henderson. Now we're going to see what Henderson can do with the keys to the car. I think it's really important to always follow the actions of the team, not only what we see in the field, but how does the team address certain positions up and down their roster. So the Rams haven't picked in the first round since they took Jared Goff number one overall in 2016. The earliest pick they've had then has been some second round picks the last few years. So they spent a third round pick on Daryl Henderson in 2019 and then turned right around a team that is lacking with some draft capital and spent a second round pick, their first pick of this year, on another running back. They spent another early day two pick on a running back a year after taking one when they're already pretty limited with draft capital. I think that says a lot. So it's not taking away what Henderson is as a talent, but he was kind of relegated to the RB2 duties during the stretch run last year. I mean, Akers' big blow-up game in the playoffs, that was kind of his coming out when people would say, well, you know, Henderson was a little bit banged up down the stretch in the regular season. I think it's important to look at playoff usage as well. Now, when we talk about fantasy projections, we're almost always just looking at regular season. You know, how did this player do from weeks one to 17? Maybe weeks one to 16, if you don't want to count that last week, that usually isn't super relevant for fantasy. But I still think you have to acknowledge the context of how the team utilized him in the playoffs. He got so much work. And the fact that they went out of their way to draft him a year after taking Henderson, I think says a lot about what they thought of Henderson or what they didn't think of him. So again, regardless of what we think of Henderson, the team spent high draft capital a year after. And Henderson isn't any more talented today than he was two days ago. There's a reason he was going to be projected to be the number two back behind Akers. I view him as, as a low-end running back, too, with upside for sure, because I think that offense is going to be good. I, I think the addition of Stafford is going to be great. I'm really high in their wide receivers this year. I'm really high on Stafford. I don't think there's any reason that he can't put up just some monster numbers this year production-wise. Um, but I also don't think they're done at addressing the room yet. It is only July. We're barely past the midpoint of July. Had this happened you know, week two or three of the preseason, who knows what availability would have been left on the free agent running back market. But the fact that it happened this early, and like you said, there's not a lot of great names out there right now. And there's a reason that the guys that are free agents are unemployed right now. It's because teams have you know, viewed them as players who really don't offer a lot to their running back room. But the Rams are in a good position. Their defense is solid. They upgraded the quarterback position. I mean, they, they're in a good position to make a really deep playoff run. So I would be shocked if they don't do something to that room. 
like I said, they didn't see enough of Henderson to want to give him the keys 100% anyways, hence the drafting of Akers a year later. But even if they make a trade for, I mean, I've seen James Robinson's name thrown around out there, probably more just for James Robinson truthers and Travis Etienne fans. Yeah. I've seen Damian Harris's name thrown out there. I mean, I've seen some other names, or Sony Michelle, I think, was tossed out as well. Who knows? I mean, there's there, there's some other guys that could make it interesting. Yeah, I but Henderson... Melvin. I saw Melvin Gordon, which I thought was an interesting one, you know, try to move off that contract. And I think in, in Dynasty, you you nailed it, right? That we're truthers. We want Etienne to, to dominate, and we, we want to see James Robinson go somewhere else, right? And we want to see Melvin Gordon go there so we can see what Javante Williams really has, and we're trying to, to separate him out. The James Robinson one to me is like, that contract is so cheap. You know, they're going to have to come with a home run offer. Yep. But we know that the Rams in the past have done that. I mean, obviously, a lot of the players that they've gone out there and made moves for it, they're not shy about it. Yeah, they're not shy about spending money. So, like I like I said, I think Henderson obviously is much more valuable today than he was, you know, 24 hours ago for sure. I think you'd be foolish to think otherwise. But as far as how far you want to slide him up, and I've even heard people say, well, I, I view him just as good as Akers was, so I'm just going to really swap them out and still put, you know, still put Henderson as like a back and running back one. I, I don't agree with that at all. Like I said, follow the team's actions. They didn't like Henderson. They weren't going to use him that way. But he's still going to have value. That offense is going to be really good. They're efficient. They're going to move the ball well. Uh, I think it's just going to come down to who they sign um, in free agency or who they trade for. I think whoever that name is will say a lot about how they view Henderson moving forward. And this could be another opportunity for him to really seize control in the offense and maybe provide a quick resurgence to his career shortly after becoming the backup. I love it. You said something about projections and PFF put out their projections of what they think Henderson's, you know, potentially going to put up. And it's over 1200 yards on 251 touches, nine touchdowns. You know, that would be a fantastic season for a guy that, you know, among you and I have talked a lot about having those premium handcuffs and not necessarily just a handcuff on your own team, but owning guys like Henderson, guys like Tony Pollard. How close is that to projections that you have and how much have you bumped him up in your in your redraft and your dynasty rankings? Yeah, I mean, whatever you thought that Akers was going to do, that that is technically the ceiling for Daryl Henderson. Now, am I going to project it that way? No, definitely not. Because, you know, right now I bumped Henderson up to running back, I believe, 22 in my redraft rankings. So in that back end RB2 range, I've got him just ahead of guys like Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin. So in that range, basically where I'm saying this running back I expect to have the lead job, but what that workload's going to look like and how secure that lead role is, I don't know, right? So I'm not reaching for Henderson in redraft before, you know, that fifth, sixth round. And then in Dynasty, at the same time, though, we can't ignore that upside, right? I don't know why you would necessarily sell Henderson for less than a first right now, because we do know that the ceiling is technically there. And we do know that the hit rate, even the first round rookie picks, isn't good. And, you know, that declines sharply in the second and third round. So are you really expecting a second round rookie next year to outperform Henderson if he does hold on to the lead role this year? Even if it's only, you know, 50, 55 percent of the touches in that backfield, right? We know the Rams had a top 10 offensive line last year. They should be pretty solid this year. So Henderson doesn't necessarily have to be an elite talent to produce RB2 numbers. So I, I think that's where the disconnect kind of comes in because I posted a couple of polls on Twitter just yesterday, right after the injury. And it seems like, you know, people trying to buy Henderson don't want to pay a first, but people selling Henderson aren't going to sell for less than that. So I don't actually know, you know, may, he had, I've, I've seen deals done for him. He's been moved in some leagues, but I don't think he's going to all of a sudden be in a ton of trades just because you know, that gap is there between the buyers and the sellers. He well, falls that's... into one of that really unique areas of, and acres I think is in the same thing where people say, I'll sell for, I'll sell for a first, but I'll buy for a second, you know, depending on how you view those picks. And I sometimes struggle kind of anecdotally with players and, and fantasy managers that say, well, it's a projected late second or it's a projected late first. That's fine. You don't know though. I mean, unless, it, unless the pick is owned by a team that is, clearly rebuilding i mean just totally rebuilding you don't know but i think we kind of sell ourselves on the fact that well it's a second round pick and we view that as maybe a back end pick well it's going to be pick 20 or later and it could be pick 13 could be pick 14 i mean we saw it in this rookie class that we just had in a super flex rookie draft the pick value 
fell off pretty quick once you got past like the middle of the second round. I mean, so an early second versus a late second, that is a huge value swing versus, you know, is it a late first? Is it an early first? We get so hung up on that first. You know, we always kind of project it to be early as a first round talent. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think we sometimes get it in our own head that we'll tell ourselves that a pick is going to be late. Well, my roster is good or I own this other guy's second round pick and his team should contend. So it should be late. That's okay. You can do that. You know, if you're flush with picks and you just want to move some around, fine, go ahead. But I mean, it's their currency. They're, they're, they're spendable currency in fantasy leagues and they increase and decrease in value during different times of the year. And I'd be really curious to get like a month away from this. You know, if you were to repost those polls about what people were valuing at once the dust has settled a little bit and whether the team has made a move or not. But it, it's always tough for me to, to answer those questions when people say, well, it's an early second. Well, if, if I know for sure it's a 202, then, yeah, that's that makes a lot more of a more of a difference versus it being like the 210. Yep. And that's yeah, why and those picks are definitely going to retain that value better. Right. Because right. the way I'm looking at it is and this is why. I technically value him in that late first, early second range, but I don't know that I'm actually going to go out and offer any firsts for Cam Akers right now because let's say a year from now we're getting good good reports from the offseason that Akers is looking 100%. He looks great. What's the most that you would get from him in a trade at that point You know, during rookie season, based rookie draft season, that rookie hype? We know that a 2022 first and even 2023 firsts are going to hold value at that point of the year. So at most, you're probably getting a first round rookie pick a year from now. And if the reports aren't as good about him regaining form, then you're not getting that first. So for me, I would sell for any first round rookie pick as of right now. Yeah, I would agree about that. We talk about that with our rebuilding process, right? That you want it to be as fluid as possible and Cam Akers' value can move one way or another, but that first-round pick is not going to move. And we have so many trades. I want to jump into them because we we actually we brought Sam on here to talk wide receivers. But this Cam Akers news is just and we, we appreciate you, you know, zigging while we we were trying to zag a little bit and kind of getting that going. But people want to know. I mean, like our first listener sends in uh, Chris Rhyme. He put in on a rebuilding team. I traded Aaron Jones for Cam Akers in a 23 first. Then I tra- then this. This guy just nails the whole whole gamut, right? Then he trades Henderson for a 23 second. So I, he doesn't think that any one particular player is going to take over. Let's take the first part there. Getting Cam Akers and a 23 first for Aaron Jones, to me, seems like a win, right? Because Aaron Jones is probably worth, you know, he's he's not quite two firsts. He's a little bit more than a first, you know, and he's in that range. And then you get that 23 first, and he's rebuilding. So we get ourselves into a position where now – Aaron Jones value could drop, you know, we're in that now he has that first round pick and he has Cam Akers. Then he goes and he, I think he got a little excited by trading Henderson for a second because I I feel like that's going to be a first round somewhere in there. But ultimately he's trying to get out of that Rams backfield. He wanted to make it as fluid as possible. Uh, Mung, talk to me about this trade a little bit here. I mean, he's rebuilding and he's added Cam Akers and some picks. Yeah, I think that part of the trade I like. Uh, in a rebuild, I do, I do think it makes sense to take a shot on the upside of Acres when you're yeah. getting a, a first round pick. In addition, um, you know Aaron Jones, he's 26 years old. We don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be uh, in Green Bay this year. Although it does sound like to me he will be, but you know probably not next year. It sounds like he's pretty much done with that. So. Uh, I think Jones is still a good talent at running back, but the overall efficiency of the Packers offense without Rodgers, that's questionable going forward in 2022. Uh, I don't love the Henderson for the 2023 20, second as much. I think the value is okay, but you know, you're basically just seeing what you can get for Henderson right now. Whereas if you're patient, you know, there's a possibility with a couple glowing reports out of training camp that Henderson's value does rise. So I think it's fine, but I probably would have held Henderson just to see, um, or at least, you know, try Henderson in a second for a first, something along those lines. We've been talking about that the last couple episodes, um, you know, where we're talking about if you have that first round pick, you don't have to go out there and and throw it out there at a guy like Chris Carson right now, if you have a starting lineup, right? He's not going to get in there. We're talking about Henderson being a spot on the flip side where you don't have to sell him right away. I mean, if he comes out week one and he puts up 150 yards and two scores, that second round pick in 2023, now all of a sudden you're getting a 2022 first 
plus, right? Because people are going to get excited. Then he has a good week two, a good week three, and we start to get really ahead of steam here, and you can get so much more for him. So I I agree. Great with the first trade, a little bit light on the second one. Sam, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I agree. The rebuilding part is nice to get, you know, to offload Aaron Jones. And the nice thing is, too, with these trades, depending on where you are, if you're in a spot where you're going to be rebuilding, I don't mind acquiring Acres, where you're kind of buying some years back a little bit. Because, like you said, Jones is already 26. Acres, I think, is still only 22. Correct. So if, you, if you're optimistic then and you're a believer that he'll make a recovery and even be 80% what he was or 85 or 90% what he was, let's say he, you know, he's two years away from being fully productive. He's 24 years. You still, you know, gained two years of production out of a very productive running back. So if, if you're in a position where you can flip an aging vet like that anyways, who isn't going to be either helping you win or if you're rebuilding, I probably don't want Aaron Jones on my lineup because he'll probably get me an extra win or two this year that I don't need or want. And that'll probably push my first round pick down a little bit more. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. But team context matters so much with a lot of these. We have to know where your roster's at, what picks you have, what your projection is moving forward and how all of those things fit into your trade. Sam fits in perfectly, right? That's what we say every single time, you know, hit us up with league format and and your direction. The direction's huge because, I mean, you look at that in a, you know, just in a vacuum, it changes things quite a bit. And we talk about insulated trades all the time. I mean, that's a move where in 2023, which we know is going to be a very good class, you know, he might be at a spot where he's able to draft someone like that, that that's equal to where Aaron Jones is in two years and you get Cam Akers might bounce back. Our next trade is sent in from Big Nuts. That's at Scobrido. He sent in, this is a 10-team, and the package is for Henderson's on the one side, and the other is a 2023 – wait, hold on a second. We have a little – there we go. We're looking at a 10-team league where it's Darrell Henderson, a 2023 first, and Tylen Wallace on one side, and J.K. Dobbins on the other. So we see where, where Twitter's at on this. Sam, why don't you tell us a little bit where you're fitting on this trade? Yeah, I, I'm firmly on the Twitter side here looking at the poll. It's like 80-20 right now in favor of J.K. Dobbins, and that's where I would sit too. And I, I don't know if it's Superflex or not. It's not listed there. If it was Superflex, I might be a slightly more uh, on the pick side um, for that 23 first. Tylen Wallace, unfortunately, doesn't excite me a whole lot based on his landing spot and his fall out of day two. This past this past rookie draft, but give me a running back who should be the running back one on the most effective running back offense that we have seen in the last couple of years in the league. Dobbins just has so much more upside, and he's a lot harder to replace than somebody like Henderson or even a wide receiver like Tylen Wallace. So I'll take Dobbins there in that instance. I like it, Mung. You know what we call these kind of trades, right? I, I don't know, actually. It's a smash, except, <laughs> oh, no, no. Like, it's a 10-team league, right? J.K. Dobbins, I know you haven't been on that side. To me, it's a smash, except Twitter had so, it 80-20. So hit me up with your side. I agree I'd lean the Dobbins side because I don't think you mentioned, but he did say it was a Debbie-depleted 2023 first. Correct. Um, Correct. So that takes a lot of talent out of that pool already. But I think I would be taking the package if it were a normal first-round rookie pick. Um, you know, I've talked about Dobbins at length. I won't, I know we have to talk about wide receivers, so I'll keep this short, but I have Dobbins ranked at RB 16 in redraft. And like I said, Henderson RB 22. So I, I don't necessarily see Dobbins seizing that, you know, workhorse role in Baltimore. I think he's going to have some big weeks, but I don't think, but I also think he'll have some quiet weeks. Um, so I do agree it's Dobbins, but if you're getting a, a normal rookie first and Henderson, I would actually lean that package. I forgot your team Gus Bus there. You know what I mean? That, to me, it was a smash except I got the T-shirt on. I got the thing behind me. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was setting you up, man. I was setting you up. All right, let's talk about the next one here. So this is an interesting one because we're looking at a 12-team dynasty, 0.5 PPR, Cam Akers and Odell Beckham on one side, 22 first and a 22 second on the other side. Doesn't say direction, but this is the kind of move where, you know, you can see where if someone's rebuilding, it's probably one side. Sam, what did you think of this trade? Yeah, I'm going to go with the picks. 2022 first and the 2022 second. Uh, I'm a little bit out on Odell Beckham. Not really for any particular reason. I guess just personal preference. I I don't know what else he's got left in the tank. That team has shown that it can be effective without him. Now that the Browns were necessarily, you would say they're better without him on the field from a football perspective. But that team is going to keep running through their two workhorse backs. Baker Mayfield is going to be an effective game manager, move the ball well. And... Odell Beckham for me is in that 
place of wide receivers where he's easily replaceable. There's a lot of other guys that are going to put up similar production numbers, and he's just name value to me at this point. It's been a while since he's been lighting it up with the New York Giants and Eli Manning. I just don't see it. So again, for Akers, I think a lot of it comes down to as well how you feel about Akers, and that's what a lot of these are at. I mean, pre-injury, it's a pretty easy trade for me for Akers, but if you're looking at it in this instance, you're at least a year away from some level of production from Akers. That's it. You have to to factor that into your head. Now, a year from now, could he have had a setback? Sure. Could he be doing great ahead of schedule? Sure. We just don't know. So if I can get a guaranteed future first in a super flex league and ship off a guy that isn't going to play for at least a year or more, that's fine. And and yeah, Odell Beckham doesn't move the needle enough for me to to take the risk on Akers. Yeah, that one was sent in by Anthony Stevebot. You know, I know he's been listening to the show. Um, Mung, I want to pitch something here to you then, something that I've been trying to do in all my leagues. I have Cam Akers in three leagues. What would you add on top of Henderson to get Akers? You know, I was like, I started out there and I started my league and I was like seeing, you know, before things had... How do you value the two? You know, and I was trying to look at the guys that had Henderson and seeing if they wanted to try to make a quick buck and, and make that kind of move. So originally I was trying to get, you know, I was trying to get Henderson plus. Where do you see the evaluation on the two? And is that a move that, you know, basically we might be able to make a, make a little bit of profit? I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know if you can get Daryl Henderson plus for Cam Akers right now. Um, based on a lot of Twitter polls that I've seen, people are down on Akers and rightfully so. And I don't know that that's a move I'd make because, you know, you're, you're taking the risk and you're basically giving away the reward of a potential good season from Henderson in 2021 for maybe a good, maybe great season from Akers in 2022 or 2023. And I wouldn't do that right now. If you were given the choice, Sam, like one for one, you know, you had to take one there. I mean, where do you see the evaluation right now? I know this is a tricky kind of thing. And I was trying to think outside the box thinking, you know, maybe I could get Henderson plus for Acres because we still got the name cachet. So one for one, who would I take? Henderson or Acres? Yep. Probably Henderson. And, and I would agree. I would agree that, you know, you're, you're trading away production this year. And it's tough because people so often treat Dynasty as the long game, but you still have to put up points on Sunday. You still have yep. to win a weekly matchup. You just own similar players for longer than one year. But that's really all the difference that there is. Yeah, sure. Can you invest in players longer periods of time? Grab some sleepers that you think will develop into startable players? Sure. And I was already kind of peeking ahead at the next trade offer. And it's an instance where, again, you're giving up production now and probably in 2022 for something that you think might happen. And for me, I, I probably would have bought more acres when I first started playing Dynasty based on, well, he's young. It's a long, it's a, you know, Dynasty's the long game. I'm going to invest in these players on the cheap. But then you're just stuck, in my opinion, being a middling team. You still have to get production in the now and basically treat every Dynasty season as its own individual re- redraft season as best as you can. Well, let's look at that next trade. I mean, we I, I, literally, while we're doing this, my my inbox is getting flooded because people are throwing more out there because people just want to know. But Billy Goat, that's at Fantasy Goat underscore, is a 10-team, two-quarterback league, Trey Sermon or Cam Akers. And then later on, I got another question. I have to look up who that's from. I got the exact same thing of Trey Sermon or Darrell Henderson. So you got to pick between those three guys. It sounds like both you guys were on the Henderson side. So let's just say... Sermon or Henderson, you know, if you got to choose and Mung, I know you love Trey Sermon and I've been on that boat ever since we had Matt Waldman on here and he just gushed about him. I've been trying to buy Trey Sermon everywhere. Is this a, is this, you got to have Sermon over Henderson. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about how, you know, Raheem Mostert's there and Sermon isn't guaranteed to win the lead job, but you know, I have high hopes for him. They spent the draft capital on him. I think both are, you know, potentially lead backs for run heavy teams, but I think Sermon's job is more guaranteed right now. So I, I would go Sermon still. I know I was trying to, I was really trying to debate back and forth on this one because it's like you get Henderson's production this year, you know, but we, we both anticipate that Trey Sermon takes over. We know Raheem Mostert is made out of paper mache. And when Trey Sermon gets his shot, we're both believing in the talent there. So I like that. Sam, why don't you throw us a little bit of insight from, from a different perspective? Yeah, I'm going to go with Trey Sermon as well. And it's funny because I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth right now from the dynasty perspective. I just said, you know, it's a it's a yearly game. You still have to put up points on Sundays and win your matchup. 
But Raheem Mostert's 29 years old. Trey Sermon's 22. So even if Mostert is around for some of this year, that's fine. He'll be 30 years old next year. The fact that he's even mildly relevant now is only because last year he played in his first full season in his entire career. He played actually 16 games last year or appeared in 16 games. He's never done that before in his previous, you know, five years, but it's only a matter of time. And the Shanahan offense makes any running back off the street look good. And not only does Sermon look good by himself, but he's in a fantastic offensive system that's going to utilize his skill set. So yeah, for in that instance, give me Sermon. Could Henderson outscore Sermon this year? Probably, and that's fine. But I don't think the gap is going to be large enough for me to regret passing on Sermon this year um, or to regret passing on Henderson this year in favor of Sermon. And like I said, the Rams clearly didn't think highly enough of Henderson to not draft Akers. So we can sit here and say he's got the opportunity, but they spent a higher draft pick on a running back a year after. I love it. The next one just, this one strikes me. You know, this one is is a 12-team, 0.5 PPR, one quarterback dynasty trade. Cam Akers and Tyler Boyd, almost, it, it's almost split now. That If you look a little bit closer now, from Michael Carter and Justin Fields in a one quarterback league. So Sam, we're going to start with you on this one. I mean, you get you get Akers, you get Boyd, who perennially is is in that wide receiver two range. Dave Richards from CBS was on a couple weeks ago, said he thinks he's going to actually lead the team in PPR points this year, which is you know obviously Mung and I are huge on Jamar Chase, and we'll get to that in a little bit. What did you think of this trade? Yeah, I'm going to go with K Makers and Tyler Boyd. I think this is one of the few trades that I looked at where I was actually on the K Makers side. And you look at Justin Fields and go, well, how are you passing on him? It's a one-quarterback league. I I love Justin Fields. I think he's going to do great things for the Chicago Bears. I think he's going to be an awesome talent and put up good production for fantasy. But unless I literally have nobody on my roster that can play quarterback, I'm probably not going to take Justin Fields. So give me the established wide receiver, Tyler Boyd, who is part of that offense that threw a ton last year. They're going to keep throwing a ton this year in that offensive system. And I'll take the shot on K-Makers long-term over Michael Carter. I just will. So for me, that that one wasn't, I guess, easy per se, but having Tyler Boyd kind of locking up that end of the trade was enough for me to be a little bit more optimistic about Akers moving forward. Yeah, shout out to Dynasty Whore. <laughs> yeah, that's his name. But he's the guy who sent in the sermon for Henderson. We always like to give people shout outs for sending them in. We got a longtime listener, Lucas DePau, said, guys, Am I selling Cam Akers for any first, 2022 or 2023? Are we saying any first right now? Both? Yeah, for me, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, We got two more trades here. We have one from FF Prognosis. We got Miles Sanders and Tyrod Taylor for Cam Akers. We're looking smash except there. I mean, that one's absolutely getting destroyed, you know, on the the Miles Sanders side. And then – the next one is now. This one's interesting. It's sent in from Eli Foreman. He says Dobbins and Godwin are Cam Akers and AJ Brown. Now you guys know I love AJ Brown. So is this a situation where we're like we're disguising you know a top three dynasty wide receiver and packaging him with Akers to try to get two solid guys right off the bat? I'm going to start with you, Mung, and then I know you definitely. I know Sam. I've seen a lot. You got a lot to say about Godwin, so we'll go to you then right after that. Yeah, I mean, I we talked earlier, and I'm not super high on Dobbins, but I would take Dobbins and Godwin here. Um, I don't know that there's going to be a huge gap in production between Brown and Godwin this year. Uh, I certainly have Brown ranked higher in Dynasty, but it's not like Chris Godwin's old. He's, what, like 24, 25 years old, and he was being talked about as a almost top five Dynasty wide receiver prior to last year, and I don't think he's dropped that far. Uh, he's going to help you produce, you know, close to what Brown can put up. And I do think that Dobbins does have a shot to finish as a top 12 running back, even though I'm not projecting him there. So, you know, we talked about wanting the production now and, uh, you know, omitting the risk of acquiring anchors right now. So, yeah, I would take Dobbins and Godwin. Dobbins and Sermon seem to be the guys the most involved in any of these trades that I'm seeing on Twitter. I mean, Duke Alexander said it. He gave up Acres and a third to get Dobbins as soon as the news hit. And I'm like, that's the biggest smash except I've seen. I mean, you're getting a guy like Dobbins right off the bat. A lot of other guys are trying to say, you know, can I put Acres in a second to get David Montgomery or guys in that range? Or, you know, if I'm a contender, I'm trying to go with Cam Akers for Carson and maybe add a little bit in there. Back to the trade because there are just so many of these coming in. 
Sam, you know, break down the trade a little bit here and then talk to me a little bit about, you know, I've been seeing a lot about Chris Godwin lately. This one's hard for me because AJ Brown is, is is by far and away my favorite player in the NFL right now, both from a real and fantasy perspective. So it Same. pains me. It, it pains me that that this is is an option because it is a very good trade. I think a lot right. of it comes down to how you feel about Dobbins, and I think he's kind of the question mark here because I obviously have Brown. I would project Brown much much higher than Godwin. Brown has that wide receiver one overall upside built into his profile, and I don't think Godwin has that. Um, could he finish top five? Absolutely. But I don't think he has enough right now based on his environment and who he plays with to finish as the number one wide receiver overall. That being said, I, I, I think people have maybe gone too far the other way on him like a year after you know his big breakout year. And he was kind of that top five consensus, had a bit of a down year. But I just posted out a couple days ago on a points per game basis. You know, he missed a few games this last year. He was better than better than Mike Evans. And you can kind of flip that and say, well, Antonio Brown wasn't there for a little while however you want to break that down. But for me, Dobbins is kind of the key here. If he catches even a handful of more passes than I think he will, he will absolutely finish as a back and running back one. But without that pass catching, that's his ceiling. That is, he's going to have to put up, you know, a Derrick Henry-like 20 touchdown season or just be uber efficient with the opportunities that he's going to get because Lamar is going to run 100 times. Gus is going to run 100 times in that offense. I mean, he's going to have to make the absolute most that being said, I would still probably lean the Dobbins and Godwin side. It hurts, but I don't right. project a whole lot of acres from acres moving forward. He's obviously not going to play for a year. It might be two years, three years until he's back to being productive. And I'm probably more risk averse than a lot of other people, but I just, I can't hold him just going after AJ Brown, even though my heart wants me to, my, my brain is telling me that it's probably the smarter choice to take the established guys that can both finish as top 12 guys at their respective positions. Yeah. And I think this is one of those scenarios of, we talk about it, knowing your league mates, right? This is probably someone who's a huge AJ Brown fan. And the, the guy's like, you know what? I'm a contender and AJ Brown's great and all, but I got, I got to move acres and get another running back. And he gets Dobbins and Godwin. And the thing that the post that you had, you had it on five days ago. I thought it was great about normalizing, you know, points per game versus end of season. So I, I just want to just highlight that a little bit. I mean, you had Mike Evans finished as a wide receiver 13, right? And, but when you look at, he's the wide receiver 16 in points per game with 15.5. Everyone thinks that Chris Godwin had an inferior season last year because he finishes the wide receiver 31, but that was only in 12 games and actually outscored in that points per game basis. So, I mean, I love that kind of stuff. I know you're always digging into stuff at Rotoviz and really, you know, coming up with insightful things. Really, that's something that that's massive. And then the other thing that you put out there was the number of wide receiver one versus wide receiver two weeks, you know, and that's something that I know not a lot of people pay attention to those kind of things. They look at what happens at the end of the year and that's not always the entire story. Yeah, it's, it's that context like anything else. And and you guys touch on that a lot, which I think is so great for the work that both of you do is you have to know more details beyond just the, the, the face value trade. It's so, so difficult to give appropriate, actionable advice based on just a trade in a vacuum. And I can tell people what I think they should do based on how I value players. But I don't know where your team is at. If you're an ascending team, a rebuilding team, you know, you're all in for this year or you're dealing with injuries, you're pick depleted, whatever. I mean, all of those things matter. So yeah, you have to take that context into consideration and that can really flip the value of a trade. I know before the show started, I said, Hey, you know, Sam Monk, we're going to see what we can do here and maybe get Cam Akers information done in 10 minutes. Then we'll cover the wide receivers. Maybe we can get it done in 20. It's 43 minutes. So we're going to hit on these wide receivers because that's why we brought Sam on here. But Sam, I mean, that was fantastic insight into the trades. We're going to go with fantasy pros, dynasty, you know, dynasty rankings just to make it make it easy. And they have tier one is one through five with Tyreek Hill, A.J. Brown, Devontae Adams, D.K. Metcalf, and Justin Jefferson. If you got to pick one of those guys and you're on the clock right now, Sam, like what's the wide receiver? You know, we, we've talked about this a lot about moving back because the wide receiver is so, so deep. But who's the guy you got to have there? You've talked about A.J. Brown. You know, I know a lot of people have him and I have him as has my – one, I know Mung's got some other guys in there. If you got to take one, who's it going to be? Yeah, it's going to be AJ Brown out of that group for sure. I, I can expand. I can expand more if you want, but yeah, he out of that group. It's not a dislike for anybody in that top group. It's just more of a preference at that point. Yeah, absolutely, Mung. It's Tyreek Hill for me. Um, we we play dynasty, and people talk about like three to five year windows, but we don't know what's going to happen in twenty twenty two, let alone twenty twenty three for the next. 
I think it's two more years Tyreek Hill has in Kansas City, and I don't see that offense slowing down at all with Mahomes there. Yeah, and I know, Sam, you wrote about Diggs' potential breakout. Does Diggs belong in this Tier 1? I mean, we have Devontae Adams at 3 here for Fantasy Pros and Diggs all the way to 6, and we're looking at, you know, Stefan Diggs was remarkable last season. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind having Diggs in, in where he's at right now. Could he be a tier up? Sure. Um, but at the same time, he might have had like the best statistical season that he'll have the rest of his career. And that's fine. No, the Bills took such a jump forward offensively, schematically. Like nobody could have predicted. I don't think anybody could have predicted. Even Buffalo Bills diehard fans could have predicted how Josh Allen would have erupted as a passer last season after struggling mightily early in his career. I don't mind it where he's at. That's probably fine. But I'm also a, a notable youth advocate in dynasty leagues. I definitely don't mind at all having Tyree Kill ranked where he's at. If you're if he's your dynasty wide receiver one, totally get it. Like you said, you're playing within this couple year window. There's no reason to expect that Tyree Kill shouldn't be the highest scoring wide receiver moving forward. For me, it just comes down to an age preference and more of a stylistic preference, I suppose. Well, I like that. So in tier two there, they have Stefan Diggs, Calvin Ridley, DeAndre Hopkins, and a guy that I've been gushing about for a long time, you know, and in my hot takes, a guy that I can see, you know, really rising into that top tier is the 22-year-old CeeDee Lamb. Now, last week we had Jordan McNamara who was kind of down on CeeDee Lamb and thinks that his value is he's probably at an all-time high. If you're in this group drafting in the second, being a, an ageist, you know, with Diggs at 27, Ridley turning 27, Hopkins 29, are you taking Lamb out of this group, or who's your guy? Probably Lamb. I'm a big Ridley fan as well. I was really high on him coming out of college, and I love the opportunity that he has right now with Julio Jones no longer there. But Matt Ryan is definitely a concern for me moving forward. He's a guy who I'm, I don't know how he's going to be in the next two years if they still keep him. Dak's going to be in that offense for a while. I don't think Michael Gallup is long for free agency in that offense either. So that means, you know, Ridley's under, or sorry, Cooper's under contract. Lamb is the young guy. I don't mind taking Lamb there, especially from a youth perspective. When I really look for guys in these ranges here, like it's nice to project forward. If somebody has a bad year, what do you think their value is going to look like moving forward? So if you know if if Stefan Diggs has a down year this year, his age probably precludes him from ever touching that top tier again, just because we right. don't know. I mean, if if Justin Jefferson has a down year this next year, he'll probably still be a tier one wide receiver because of his age and because of what he did as a rookie. And people will say, well, the Vikings are run heavy. Kirk Cousins is kind of a game manager, you know, whatever. I mean, we can bring up these narratives, but if CeeDee Lamb has a bit of a down year, he's still going to be highly valuable. Or if any of these somewhat older players in their mid to late twenties have a down year, that's tough for that value to bounce back. I mean, just look what happened to Michael Thomas. He's a guy who I think we've gone too far the other way on. And if Michael Thomas finishes as the wide receiver one this year, nobody should be surprised. I don't care who the quarterback is for the Saints. That's obviously within his range of outcomes. But because he's like 28 years old, he, it won't matter. It won't matter. I mean, he could finish by far and away the wide receiver one this year. He will not be the wide receiver one in Dynasty for anybody, even after a phenomenal year like that. That's just how the market reacts. You don't have to like it, but that's just how we treat these players from an age perspective. Yeah, and I was surprised where he was my first wide receiver taken in the Scott Fishbowl. And I got some backlash on Twitter where I said, I can see a scenario where Michael Thomas is the wide receiver one this year. And, yep. and you made a great point there with Diggs. I mean, that's almost an identical parallel. If, if he would have a bad year, he'd be right where Michael Thomas is. And the value is quite a bit different between the two. You can easily get Thomas in a first for Diggs. You know? And I feel like there's a lot of people that could do that right now. Let's move into that next tier. And that's where people really are starting to debate. Right, We started to get into this situation where it's like McLaurin, Michael Thomas, Jamar Chase, Allen Robinson, Godwin, Moore, Cooper, such great talent. I'm going to go back and forth with you guys on these, but quick hitting on this, Sam, we'll start with you. Terry McLaurin, people are just, a lot of a lot of people that we have on the show, wild about Terry McLaurin. He gets Fitzpatrick this year. You know, what kind of ceiling are we looking at? Top five overall this year, well within his range of outcomes. I mean, he's a little bit older being 25 years old already. I mean, but 134 targets last year, over 1,100 yards, kind of as the guy you know, with, with pretty poor quarterback play. I mean, so you bring in a guy who is not afraid to just sling the ball downfield as the clear alpha wide receiver target on his team. No no worries about him in that range. He's not my preference within this window if I was doing a dynasty startup because of his age relative to his experience in the NFL. Like I said, I'm a bit of an ageist when it comes to dynasty wide receivers, but also because, I mean, Fitzpatrick is not going to be his quarterback for long. 
So, I mean, they're going to have to address that room at some point with somebody else. And McLaurin could finish as the wide receiver five overall this year. And that would probably vault his dynasty status. But the quarterback room moving forward for me is kind of what keeps him in that middle tier for me moving forward. Mung, this is your opportunity to talk about who the Washington football team's quarterback should be. It's your mandatory moment. Come on. It's fine. I mean, I'm not like some Taylor Heineke super fan. I just don't trust Ryan Fitzpatrick to be, you know, consistent enough in avoiding turnovers. You know, we've seen his entire career, right? Like he has amazing flashes, um, but he just turns the ball over so much. And I I don't know that he can be trusted. I'm a little bit lower on McLaurin's ceiling just because I'm of the mindset that I do think they drafted Diamond mean, Brown, you know, they added Curtis Samuel. I know that Fitzpatrick has traditionally just honed in on his number one wide receiver, but he's also been on teams where I don't know that he had much other choice. Uh, so I think a top 10, top 12 is within McLaurin's range, but uh, I'm not quite as high on him as some others are. Let's go to the next guy and the guy that I believe, you know, if I had to ask Mung and, and who I would definitely take out of this group is Jamar Chase. I mean, we see the ceiling being the wide receiver one. I mean, you could – I, you could tell me in two years he's the wide receiver one overall, and he'll be 23 years old at that point. What we've seen from him, this guy is fantastic, Sam. Yeah, when you take the guy who has one of, arguably one of the better prospect profiles we've seen out of a wide receiver in, in quite a long time, you pair him with Joe Burrow. You pair him with an offense that you know is going to throw the ball 38, 40 times a game. There, there's nothing you can't like about his situation, and I kind of keep projecting the Bengals to be, you know, the, the new age Dallas Cowboys with how they're just going to throw the ball. And there, there's no reason to not like any of the wide receivers in that team. I'm a big T Higgins fan. I was really high in him coming out. Love where he's at as well. But yeah, it's hard to not take chase out of this range right here. E- even with, you know, could he finish behind some of these guys this year? Absolutely. But his youth, his landing spot, his talent upside, his profile, all of those things a year from now, even if he puts up, you know, 900 yards this year, six touchdowns, whatever, I mean, he, he's going to be a first, second round pick in Dynasty Startups next year, if he's not already. I mean, depending on where you land with him, yeah, he's he's clearly my pick out of tier three here. Yeah, I think in non-superflex, he's already in that range. You know, he's yep. in that, that two, three turn, and I think that's a great, great value for him right there. Um, Mung, you know, we got we got some veterans here on the other spot. Allen Robinson, you know, we, I this is we, – we've been begging for him to get a quarterback. If Justin Fields starts, I mean – Allen Robinson this year, is there a better value other than maybe Keenan Allen in this area if you are are a contender? Uh, Give me those names again. Well, we got Robinson, Cooper, Godwin, Moore, you know, and then I I put Keenan Allen in. They have him in tier four at 17, but I bumped him up. Yeah, I mean, I think Allen Robinson's last in that tier, and uh, you can blame J.J. Zacharyson for that. Um, Just He he had a great show uh, where he talked about how difficult it is for a lot of wide receivers to produce with rookie quarterbacks, and I think Allen Robinson's uh, an elite guy who's just never had that quarterback play, but he's never needed it because he's had the volume, um, and I think he'll be fine. I just don't see a huge ceiling for him. And, you know, he is getting up there in age. We don't know what team he's going to be with next year. So there's a lot of questions there. Uh, I I think it's Mari Cooper because people, you know, people give him a lot of crap, but uh, he was excellent with Dak Prescott in the first few weeks of last season. Nothing has changed about how awful that Cowboys defense is. Um, We're going to see this Cowboys offense airing it out a lot. Dak Prescott's the the comeback player of the year favorites. He's probably top five in MVP odds, or at least he should be. Um, I I think Cooper is an absolute steal. So I I think he has top five upside, and he would be my pick here. Okay, I like it. Uh, We're going to move over to, we got our our man, it's no more Mr. Nice Guy mentioned, and he's right here, our next guy on that list. We already talked about Godwin. You know, DJ Moore has become a real buy low potentially, you know, like out of this group, you can get him on the cheap. And we've seen some of the things in the past where, you know, after his sophomore year, we were projecting what, you know, sky high things. Now he gets Sam Darnold. You know, what do you think about DJ Moore this year, Sam? He's tough. I mean, he was in the same rookie class as Kelvin Ridley was drafted right ahead of him and had the perfect profile coming out. I mean, from, from a breakout age perspective, you know, all of the things that you want to see dominator rating, all the box that you want to check from, from an incoming rookie wide receiver, he had it and he's been pretty volume driven, but touchdowns have continued to evade him. He's, you know, 
topped 1,100 yards and scored four touchdowns in each of the last two seasons. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he finished as a wide receiver 16 two years ago, wide receiver 23 this last year. Nothing wrong with that. You know, he's a, he's a productive middling wide receiver too. You need that on your team. I think he's just failed to really crack that ceiling that everyone wanted him to do when he came in. And I think that still lingers with him. So he's probably underrated a little bit now from what I think he could still do moving forward. Another quarterback change, that's going to be challenging for him. Maybe we'll see how well he connects. But I'm fine with him as my two. I probably don't value him quite as highly as a lot of people in the dynasty community do or still have done. But I think those people maybe still hang on to the what ifs or all the boxes that he checked coming in. So I don't have a problem with him in this range right here. He's probably a borderline wide receiver one in dynasty for me. He's still young, which he has going for him for sure. But he's kind of running out of time to show that he can be what everyone wanted him to be coming into the NFL. So we started talking a couple weeks back and we wanted to talk about this particular group right here, right? And we're like, this is why we're having you on. And now we're like five minutes left. We always try to keep it to about an hour, you know? And it's like, I would love to have you back on another time to really hit some other guys. But let's talk about sophomore wide receivers right here, right? This this tier has T. Higgins. It has Chase Claypool. It has Jerry Judy. Talk to me about those three guys and Brandon Ayuk. I mean, those, those guys – are following people are messaging me all the time what do i do with this guy what do i do with that guy you know that year one into year two is is a sometimes for your dynasty values is where it can really catapult and who do you see out of this group what are the guys that you see their values really increasing that you should buy now i mean i feel like all four of those guys their values can still increase and are still affordable at this point but might not be next year Oh, absolutely. And if I was in a dynasty startup, I would have no problem trading back into this range and drafting three of them, drafting all four yeah. of them. I would love that. Absolutely. I, I would forego drafting my man, AJ Brown early on, if I could draft three of these players. And I would even add LaVisca Chenault into this group as well, although he carries a little bit more risk relative to these other ones. But we were spoiled by this by this wide receiver class. It's just flush with talent. But we also kind of talk out of both sides of the narrative. We, we talk about, well, it was an adjusted, abbreviated offseason, no real preseason, not a lot of opportunity for these young players to connect with their quarterbacks, build chemistry, learn the playbook. And then in the same vein, we have Justin Jefferson go out and set, you know, rookie records. And people say, well, he did it. He didn't obviously, you know, he didn't, he wasn't hurt by the lack of time of continuity with his quarterback, but we still have enough reason to believe that all four of these players could take steps forward. So I did a piece not too long ago on wide receivers that I think you should just pay up for right now in dynasty leagues. And two of them are Brandon Ayuk and Chase Claypool. So for Brandon Ayuk, for sure, the narrative against him is, well, he put up a lot of his production without Debo Samuel or George Kittle while they were in the lineup. And that's true. But during that stretch, he still posted over 18 points per game in kind of the heart of his season. Or actually, he's top 20 points a game from week seven to 15, Saw over eight targets a game. I just trust the offense. I mean, when they drafted Brandon Ayuk, he was like a Debo Samuel clone for that fit. Mm -hmm. He's a guy who yards after the catch, get the ball in his hands, let him work, and that's the Shanahan system. Even before they drafted Trey Lance, it's like Jimmy Garoppolo is not a great quarterback, but he's a perfect fit for what they want to do stylistically in that offense. So I don't mind paying first-round picks plus in a package deal for any of these guys. You can make the case for Jerry Judy. Saw a ton of volume last year. Struggle with drops. I don't care about drops. Same reason I like Deontay Johnson. I don't care about drops at all. They don't really impact fantasy performance at all unless they get you benched, which for Johnson, it did a little bit. But Bridgewater is probably going to be an upgrade over Drew Locke. I mean, Bridgewater just supported three top 25 wide receivers last year. And if the Broncos somehow spin the deal and land Aaron Rodgers, that entire offense just shoots to the moon. So Judy is just going to be great. I think he's in a better spot with Cortland Sutton back in the field. I view Sutton as kind of more of that outside downfield threat. Let Judy just work his way over the middle. He's a phenomenal route runner. Just get the ball in his hands and let him work. Chase Claypool, he's the guy I would probably take in Dynasty over any of the Steelers wide receivers right now, over Deontay Johnson, over Juju Smith-Schuster. I just think his profile is so great. He's DK Metcalf light. He's built the exact same way. He's fast. He's big. Mapletron, however you want to refer to him. Um, but he was, he was efficient. And that's really one thing I try to chase with my rookie wide receivers. He was efficient with his opportunities. I'm not particularly worried about Roethlisberger this year or next year. He's hinted and teased retirement for a while, so that's probably going to come back and bite us at some point if you ever decide when he decides to walk away. But yeah, I view um, Claypool kind of in that same hulking wide receiver vein as Metcalf and A.J. Brown. So yeah, there, there's not a guy really 
in this range of sophomore wide receivers that I don't love and wouldn't happily pay a future first, like plus a player for to get, because I think they have that upside to crack top 15 dynasty rankings moving forward. Mung, you got to love that. Cause that almost sounded exactly like a lot of the content that you've been saying about those same guys. And you get, I mean, that is the group there. If you have to pick one of those guys, is it still Ayuk for you? Yeah, it's Ayuk. I'm actually a bit lower on Claypool and Judy than consensus. Um, uh, you know, speaking of Ben Roethlisberger, I, I basically figured Claypool to be kind of a Martavis Bryant clone. And I really liked Bryant back in the day, but the problem is I don't know that Ben's going to be throwing deep quite as much. Um, and, and I like Claypool's profile as well, but he also had nine touchdowns on like 60 receptions last year, four touchdowns in one game. Um, a bit of an outlier in terms of scoring. I think he'll be fine, but I don't see that true upside, especially with Deontay Johnson there. Uh, and then Jerry Judy, same reasons. I, I do think that Bridgewater could be better for Judy than he is for Sutton. Um, Sam mentioned that Sutton's more of that downfield role, and we certainly know that Bridgewater prefers to check it down a little bit more. Uh, but I, I don't know that the volume's there. I was talking to um, Eric, who we had on the show, Andrew Erickson, who we had on the show a few weeks ago about this on Twitter today. And I just don't know that the passing volume is going to be there for Denver. Um, I don't know that the target volume is going to be there as a result with Sutton and Fant there in addition. So I'm probably a little bit lower on Judy and Claypool, but certainly the ceilings are there considering their talent. See, I, I like that Denver situation. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of guys that could possibly hit there with Fant and, and Judy, but that's for another podcast because there's a couple more sophomores I wanted you to hit on, Sam, before we let you go. You had already talked about Chenault, but some other sophomores in that range uh, that are in that like same tier, and I have Chenault higher than, than Fantasy Pros does, but Michael Pittman, Jalen Rager, and, and LaVisca Chenault, and maybe even Denzel Mims a little bit. This, these are the guys where you can get a really good value right now. Do you see any of them taking the leap forward in 2021? Besides Chenault, I, I don't. I, I, Chenault has a really nice profile, and I think he'll be utilized in a lot of really creative ways. And you can have your, your I think, fair concerns about Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer and how that offense is going to work. That's okay. But for a lot of those other guys, I, I'm kind of out because, and I'll, I'll kind of go back to something you mentioned earlier, and it's not to take away from the narrative, but people will often say something like, well, wide receiver is so deep. So you can kind of wait on wide receiver. It's so deep. You can get him anywhere. That's that's true to a point, but you just look at like points per game. It drops off so quick. Like people say that wide receiver is so deep, but then you're stuck with like these 14, 15, 16 per points per game wide receivers. And there's a lot of those. That's fine. But you still want guys that can crack that 18, 19, maybe 20 points per game. Right. So you look at points per game last year. I mean, Devontae Adams is kind of an outlier for how historic he was, but you only had two other players break 20 points per game. And you had two guys in the 18 range, about four or five guys in the 17 point per game range, and then it just kind of falls into that 16, 15, 14. And it's deep there. That's fine. But people kind of talk about wide receiver like, well, you can get good ones anywhere. You can get average ones anywhere. That's fine. Right. But that's not what I want. And that's kind of where I feel that next tier of sophomore wideouts is going to land, whether it's Mims, Pittman, Rager, and I, I think Rager is dirt cheap right now. I think his current like best ball ADP for this year is like outside wide receiver 60. So he's a guy who I think you can just take a shot on for nothing. And if he hits, great. If not, you didn't spend anything on him. But yeah, I'm not targeting any of those other wide receivers in that range. I'd rather pay up for guys that I think can crack that top 10 tier. That's really what I'm looking for. I don't want average wide receivers because you're right. It is deep there. But I think that context is needed. So I do kind of push back on people when they say, well, wide receiver is deep. Just grab running backs early and it's fine. Your running backs better be phenomenal to help, you know, buoy up just your okay run of the mill wideouts. But once you get out of like the top 12, top 15, those elite guys are gone. And those are the difference making volume driven wide receivers you really want on a weekly basis. And those are the guys I'm willing to pay for. Yeah. And when when I do redraft, I mean, let's look at the Scott Fishbowl. It was like Kyler Murray with my first pick. And I've always been, you know, I want some of them workhorse running backs because what the positional deficiency where taking Taylor and Eckler. But then there's some upside guys where it was like Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen, you know, where if you can get those kind of guys is what I'm advocating. But when it comes to startups, I, I'm all about taking wide receivers. You know, I want to mm -hmm. get those wide receivers and because you can draft running backs and you can plug them in and 
you know, that that's for another podcast as well. I'm sorry we crammed everything in there, but everybody wanted to hear about the acres. Everybody wanted to hear about what's going on with Henderson and, and Sam, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while and you did not disappoint. I mean, you took care of business, some great information there. Why don't you tell our listeners, you know, what you're, what you're working on right now. I know you have some articles coming out and you know, where they can find you. Yeah, sure. And thank you guys both again so much for the opportunity. I know we spent a lot of time on the acres deal, but that's fine. I mean, we got to give the people what they want and that's kind of the current topic. So we have to adjust and and provide actionable content for what, what people are looking for. And that's cool. So yeah, you can find my work over on Rotoviz. My Twitter handle is at SWallace underscore FF. I just wrapped up a three-part series on undervalued offenses, just offenses across the board that I think have potential to really return value you know, at certain positions up and down their lineup. Um, after this weekend, I'm going to be starting another three-part series on different backfields that I think have some ambiguity to them, teammates that are kind of going in the similar range and who I think is maybe the preferred pick at that particular ADP. So kind of a decoding backfield series, if you will. I love it. Mung, you're always busy over there at Fantrax. What's new this week? Yeah, uh, like I said, I just updated my top 200 redraft rankings, so you guys can check that out. Uh, I'm working on some wide receiver sleepers and busts, so that'll be coming out pretty soon. Uh, and that's that's it right now. I mean, a lot's going to be happening. Training camps are starting. Uh, people are reporting now. So just make sure you guys are keeping up to date with the news. Uh, you know, so much comes from these next few weeks in terms of trying to project workloads for running backs, target shares for wide receivers. Um, I, I know we ran short on time, but I, I don't know why anyone would be buying Denzel Mims right now based on the reports from minicamp for Elijah Davis. But, you know, stuff like that, super important to follow as we ramp up to the season, which is just, I think, under two months away. So get excited, guys. I saw today is 48 days away. We're 10 days away from you guys not being able to cash in on that 10% off and the opportunity for a trophy. So go over to draftkits.co. It's not .com. It's .co. And thanks again for tuning in. Enjoy the process.